Welcome to the Rocky Valley Podcast. This is Pastor Jason Moe. We're glad you stopped in to have a listen, and we hope that this blesses you in some way. If you have your Bibles, open them up to the book of Philippians. The book of Philippians chapter 2. book of Philippians chapter 2 will be in verses 12 through 18 this morning. And the title of this morning's message is Obedience in Christ. Obedience in Christ. Now, I would say that the biggest difference between Christians who are on fire for Jesus, Christians who are seeking to see people saved for Jesus, Christians who are living their lives in in that feeling of communion with Jesus, where you just... You have that time in your life where you just feel close to God, where you just can feel His presence and His Spirit just oozing in and out of your life. I would have to say that the biggest difference between Christians who are living in that time and Christians who are living their lives going, the biggest difference between those two groups of people are as the ones that are on fire and feeling communion with God and seeking to see lost souls saved is that they are being obedient to the commands of Christ in their lives. I mean, I mean, if you'll just be honest with yourselves, and if we'll just be honest with each other, when you think back to a season in your life where things seemed to keep you down, where it just seemed like God was so far away, God was... An idea, you believed in God, you knew God, you had accepted Christ as your Savior, you knew that that you were a Christian, but for some reason that season in your life, it just seemed like God was just almost an idea. He was so far away. And if you'll be honest, more often than not, the reason that that feeling comes into our lives, it's certainly not because God has moved, it's because we're no longer being obedient to what God has called us to be. We're no longer being what we know that we should be. We're no longer following Christ the way that we know that we should follow Him. And so it starts simple, doesn't it? It starts with one step away from what we know we're supposed to be. But the problem is that if, if, if Christ is the sinner and we step one step away and we're, we're kind of going around Him, then we're a little bit further away from him all the time. And then we just take one more step and one more step, and then the steps get easier to take. And eventually, we have a hard time seeing even where Christ is in our lives. But I've got good news for you. Christ, he never moved. He's still the same as he was then. And the the only difference is as many different little steps it took you to get away, you can make one big step back to him all at once. He can just bring you right back into communion with him. And so we're going to look at a a few verses in Paul's letter to the church in Philippi. And we're going to see that as he writes to the church in Philippi, he points out to them that as that truth applies in our personal lives, that obedience in Christ can can keep us centered on Christ and rooted in Christ, that truth applies in our churches as well. That obedience to Christ within the body of the church and within the body of believers can make a big difference as to whether our church is in communion with God, as to whether we're doing the things that God has called us to do and created us to do and, and placed us to do. And so we're going to look that the obedience must be evident in our lives and in the lives of our church in order for us to be healthy. Now since the first of the year, we've been looking at several different places in Scripture and a common theme as I look back at, at every message that we've done on Sunday morning since the first of this year 
Every message has had a theme of uniting the church and being sensitive to the Holy Spirit. Now, I wish that I could say that was because your pastor was so clever and I had planned it out that way. But unfortunately, I didn't have that much foresight. It's been just something that God has done. But when I look back on it, every single message has been about the church being more unified and the church being sensitive to the Spirit and the church being in prayer together. And I don't think that that's accidental either because this morning we come to this passage and we kind of look at a section where, where Paul is writing the church in Philippi and it's kind of one of those where the rubber meets the road kind of things where, where this is the evidence that all these things that you know are being put into practice this is what happens um, and really the whole letter to the church in Philippi is quite upbeat and if you consider the tone and the tenor of the entire letter it's quite amazing I, Paul is imprisoned in Rome under the emperor Nero and he's going to die he, he's going to die in this imprisonment he, he's sitting there for being a pastor and for being the things that he's done he's being imprisoned and he's going to die and yet as he writes this letter he speaks of joy and rejoicing and how excited he is to see what the church is doing and so as we dive into our text I want to stand to our feet as we honor the reading of God's holy and inerrant word from the book of Philippians chapter 2 beginning in verse 12 and he writes therefore my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to, do, to will and to do for his good pleasure. And do all things without complaining and disputing, that you may become blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life, so that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain or labored in vain. Yes, and if I am being poured out as a drink offering on the sacrifice and service of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. For the same reason you also be glad and rejoice with me. Let us pray this morning. Dear Heavenly Father God, Lord, we ask that you would do what only you can do, and that is dwell among your people, Lord. God, we know as, as the song was saying so beautifully this morning that just to have communion with us, you did everything, Lord God. You didn't have to swim the ocean because you stood on the sea, Lord God. You didn't have to climb a mountain because you climbed a hill called Calvary, Lord God. But that you did it all just to have communion with us, just that we may have forgiveness of our sins, Lord. And the result of that should always be obedience of your people, Lord God. And so, God, we thank you so much for that. We thank you so much for that this morning. We ask you bind any spirit from this place that ain't your Holy Spirit, Lord God. Change us this very morning. And it's in your precious name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. The first thing we're going to look at this morning is the collectivity of obedience. The collectivity of obedience. Now that word collectivity literally means a group of people getting together for a purpose. A group of people getting together for a purpose. Now I thought that was a cool word when it comes to the church. A group of people getting together for a purpose. Well what are we looking to do here at church? What do we look to do at Rocky Valley Baptist Church? What this is the million dollar question. What is our mission statement? What's our vision statement at Rocky Valley Baptist Church? 
To know Christ and to make Him known, right? To know Christ and make Him known. In other words, our whole idea as we come together as a church, we say our whole purpose is that Christ would be glorified. That we as a group of people would come together for the sole purpose of glorifying Christ by knowing Him first and then showing Him to others. That's our whole purpose. I thought that is pretty collectivity of a purpose there. The other reason that the collectivity is put in there is because it starts with a C and the other two points had a C in them and I spent an awful lot of time trying to find a third C this week and collectivity just kind of stuck out. If you've never done a three-point sermon with the same letter flowing with all three points, I ask you to try that this week and you'll come up with words like collectivity as well. Some of you will get what I said later, that's okay. The first thing about the togetherness that we're going to see is the way that Paul felt about the church, though. He starts out, he says, therefore. Now, that word, therefore, we've talked about it before. It is a linking word. In other words, it's bringing two things together. Therefore. So, so what's he bringing together? In other words, so he's saying, in light of what I've already written, therefore. In light of what I've already written, here you go. So, in other words, we don't really need to read the rest until we know that we've understood the first, because the rest is based on the first. So what has he been saying, just so we have a little context? He's saying that Christians should be in one accord, that Christians should come together, we should be on the same page when we come together. He's writing to them and he says, I need you guys to be on the same page, and that page has to be Jesus. You need to be building up your fellow brother and sister, and you need to be doing that because Christ died for you. That's essentially what he's written to this point is you come together, you build one another up, you live life together, you care for one another, you touch one another, you have compassion for one another, you have compassion for your fellow man and you do that simply because Christ died for you because if you have any other basis for why you're trying to do that, you're not going to be able to do it. So he says, why are you able to do that? It's because Christ died for you. He writes, Also, he says, Christ who was humiliated on a cross, Christ who is exalted in a resurrection. So he essentially gives the gospel uh, there, and he says, the gospel of Jesus Christ is what has brought us together. The reason we gather is because Christ who died for you and was resurrected. So therefore, as a result of Jesus Christ and what he did for the church, therefore, as a result of that, let's move forward about obedience. And he says, therefore... My beloved, as a result of what Jesus did for you, my beloved. Now I just want to ask you, how many of you would write a letter to each other and would start it with the words, my beloved? We're placed here together for the purpose of exalting Christ. We're put here together because we know Christ and we want to make him known. Here we see that Paul, who had planted the church in Philippi with the help of Lydia and a few others, and he left it, and it was his beloved, as he pins this letter back to him, he thinks of them so fondly that he literally says, Therefore, because I love you, because I love you this much, you're my brothers and you're my sisters. And so the first thing we're going to see is if as a group, we're going to be obedient to the call of Christ in our lives. We got to love each other. We got to love each other. We got to think of each other with a high esteem. Now, does that mean that I'm going to love everything you do? Does that mean I'm going to agree with every decision you make or everything you do? Of course not. 
Because how did Paul preface it? He didn't say, therefore, because of your good qualities as a leader, church in Philippi. He didn't say, therefore, because of the way you take up your tithes. Therefore, because of your talent in singing beautiful songs. He said, therefore, as a result of Jesus Christ, I love you. You're my beloved. So how can we love one another? Well, we have to realize that the only reason we're together is not because of our incredible talents or abilities, but it's because of Jesus Christ. We always have to keep that focus on the fact that the only reason that we come together is to exalt Jesus Christ and never to esteem one another. He goes on, though. He says, my beloved, because of Jesus and what he did and, and, and that, that not only when I'm there with you, but, but now that I've been gone. What? Woo! Boys, I'm preaching so hard, the phone is praising God this morning. How about that? God said, if the people won't praise, the rocks will cry out. If you won't say amen, the phone will praise Jesus this morning. Let's get going. I'm going to get somebody else's before we get done. He said, not just while I'm there with you, but while I'm gone. I, I'm proud of how you're acting when I'm gone from there. Not just when I'm there among you. Of course you act right when I'm there among you, but I'm so happy that you're doing things right now that I'm gone that I don't even know what to say. You've continued to be faithful in my time of absence. It's sort of like Paul saying, don't just hear the word of God, but do the word of God. You know, it'd be like if I said to you this morning, don't just come into church this morning and love one another and hug one another and smile one another and look happy with one another and shake each other's hands and then go out the front door and no longer care about each other anymore. Go out the front door and put your frown on your face as quickly as possible. Go out the front door and forget anything that just happened inside. Because it's not really important so much how you act when we're together as it is how you act when we go out of this church. I mean, let's just be honest with you. We gather here in this building. If you come on Sunday morning, Sunday night, on Wednesday night, and let's say you catch... One of the special things that we do, usually monthly at least, you come, let's say that in the course of a month, you spend 12 hours maybe at church. That's probably pushing it a little bit. You spend about 12 hours here. If you're only spending 12 hours a month glorifying God, then we're not doing what we're supposed to do in those 12 hours. Because we're supposed to come together and we're supposed to live our lives in such a way that we don't have to pretend to love each other when we get in here. We should just love each other because Christ loved us. And we would carry that out. And so that's kind of what Paul's saying. It's like when someone comes up to me and says, I went on a field trip with your son's class. And I noticed the way that he... You know, I was just amazed that he kept saying, everybody that came up to me said, yes, sir, and no, sir, and yes, ma'am, and no, ma'am. Guys, that means so much more to me than when I'm standing there with him and somebody comes up and I give him that evil eye and he goes, yes, sir. That he does it when he's not with me means so much to me. Parents, you know what I'm talking about. It means so much to you to know that your kids are acting. That's what Paul is saying. Guys, you have no idea how much it means to me that as I sit here in prison, I know that you're carrying out the things that we learned when we planted the church. You're carrying out the commands of God together because you love Christ Jesus. 
Act the same way when you walk out the door as you do when you're inside the door. Now, for some of you that look like you stomped on a porcupine on your way in the door, I'd prefer that you act even happier when you walk back out the door than you did when you walked in. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, you're the one that stepped on the porcupine. So let's keep going, though, because this next part could, could be a little controversial if we, don't, if we don't spend some time here. He says, not just in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Now, if we weren't careful, we could see that and we'd say, well, that's starting to sound like that old works-based salvation, preacher. But it doesn't say work for your salvation. It says work out your salvation. That, that phrase, that, that direct phrase that's translated work out literally means exercise something to fulfillment or completion. So when Paul writes to him and he says, in my absence, work out your salvation, he's literally saying you have to continue to work on this thing called being a follower of Christ. You have to continue to focus on being obedient to Jesus and studying His Word and praying and coming together with the saints. You've got to continue to do this as you work out this thing called sanctification. He says, you do it with fear and trembling. You continue on this process. Basically, what he's saying is, God didn't place you here. God didn't save you, in other words, to leave you where you were. He didn't save you so that you could stand so close to your sin that nobody could tell the difference between what you were and what you are now. He saved you for a purpose. He placed you together for a purpose, to glorify Him in a greater way. And in order to do that, we have to be willing to be obedient to Him in our own lives and in the lives of our churches. And we have to do it because we have a fear of offending God with our sin. And we have a righteous respect for His holiness. That's what those words fear and trembling literally mean. A reverential fear and a righteous respect. That's how we move on the process of sanctification. You see, we give our lives to Jesus and we're justified. We are fully justified. In other words, we're no longer guilty of our sin debt. But then starts a process called sanctification or becoming what he called us to do. And far too often we've had preachers and evangelists and, and many others stand up and spend so much time focusing on justification. And justification is important. We've got to get saved. We've got to see people come to know Jesus. But it doesn't stop there. See, we've dropped the ball a lot as the churches. That somebody just gets saved and then we say, oh good, they're saved. Now let's go focus on something else. But instead, once they get saved, that's where the work really starts, right? Now that you've accepted Jesus as Lord and Savior, now it's time to start moving from the milk to the meat. It's time to start moving from what you were to what God has called you to be. But the good news is that now you've got Jesus putting His will and His work in you that you can move on that process. Why? Because in verse 13 it says, It is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. So in other words, the only way that you can move on this process of becoming what he's called you to be is because he's inside of you. You don't do it on your own. In other words, if you don't know Jesus, you're not going to want to do the things that Jesus commands you to do. Maybe you'll do some of them. You may want to be a good person because you don't want to get a beating from your parents. 
But by and large, you don't want to become holy because you don't know God. And you can't want to be holy until you've been measured against what is holy. Before we move on, I just want to say this. If you're saved, truly saved, then you'll desire to glorify God. That's what it boils down to. If you truly know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, then you will want to do the things that He wants you to do. You will want to see Him glorified. Your greatest desire will be that Christ's exaltation is shown in your life. Now, I did not say, if you've been baptized, I did not say if some preacher one day preached a sermon on hell and said, if you don't want to go there, raise your hand. And then after that said, if you raise your hand, now come forward and we'll baptize you next week. That, raising your hand and coming forward and saying, I'm scared of hell and yeah, I'll pray a prayer and yeah, I'll get baptized. If there was never a place where you were reborn in that trip, then you, you won't necessarily want to be obedient to Christ because you never really gave your life to Christ. I know. I lived through it. I raised my hand because I was scared of hell one time. But then later on I came to know Jesus and I realized there's a difference. And so if you're saved, if you're truly saved. So I get that question all the time. How do I know that I'm really saved? Well, do you want to see Christ glorified and does your sin offend you? That's your measuring stick. Can you sin and be happy about it? If you can, then you may have a problem. And do you want to see Christ glorified in your life? If you want to see yourself glorified more than you want to see Christ glorified, you may have a problem. I'm not here to judge who is or isn't saved. That's not my place. That's not my job. And it's above my pay scale. But I am here to tell you that if you know God, you will desire to do his pleasure. So let's move on. First, the collectivity of obedience. Next, let's look at the contrast of obedience, though. Verses 14 and 15, do all things without complaining and disputing, that you may become blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. If we're being obedient to Christ, then we're going to be blameless, we're going to be harmless. When when people look at us, we're going to be seen without the blemish of sin. We're going to be observed to be living the life that God called us to. And where are we going to do it? In the midst of the world. We're going to be seen in the world living differently than the world. Makes sense, doesn't it? Let me just say it again. We're going to be seen in the world living different than the world. Notice Paul didn't say... I'm so proud of you that you work out your salvation so that when you gather in your beautiful building, you sing so beautifully. He said, I'm so proud of you that as you get together and go out, you look different than the world around you. You're showing those people who are doing things they're not supposed to do that there is a God who can cause them to be different. There is something different about those people that get together over in that building and pray together and preach and open the Bible and sing those silly songs. It makes them act different as they want to glorify God. Because we are the shining light. We're the shining light. It doesn't say 
if you'll live out your salvation, then you can be the shining light. It doesn't say you're called that you would be the shining light. It says you are that shining light. So in other words, what, what Paul is saying is because we planted that church there and we call ourselves Christians and we gather and we do all the things of Christ and we say that we're disciples of Jesus and we, we're, we're going to be different, when you go out, people are looking at you and they're expecting to see something from you. Whatever they see is going to be their idea of Christ. So when Rocky Valley, if you say, I go to Rocky Valley Baptist Church, immediately everybody that heard you say that looks at you and they're going to get an idea of Rocky Valley Baptist Church and what you say and what you do and how you act. Now, maybe they get a good idea. But maybe they hear some of the things you say or some of the things you do and they go, well... Why would I go there? Apparently nothing changes when you go there. You just keep acting like the world. Nothing changes. We have to keep that in our mind as we go out, that obedience to Christ is going to cause us to look different. There's a difference that's going to be observed in us. And so are we the light or are we acting contrary to our calling? But now back up to verse 14. Because we're going to see something there that I think is, is quite amazing in the Christian world. One of the ways that there's going to be a difference observed is you're going to do all things without complaining and disputing. Now, I don't spend a lot of time teaching Greek words, but I'm going to teach you guys a few Greek words. If you have your notepads and you want to learn some Greek words, I challenge you to get them out if you have your smartphones and you want to record this so you can study it later and check me. We're going to learn some Greek words. Literally this phrase that means do all things, in the Greek it means everything you do. Do all things literally means everything you do. And those words, complaining and disputing in the Greek, they literally mean fussing and whining. In other words, what I'm saying is verse 14 in its translation is pretty perfect. It literally means, when it says do all things without complaining and disputing, he literally says if you're going to look different than the world around you, then do every stinking thing you do without fussing and whining like a little baby. Sorry, that's what it means. In other words... If we're going to be on the same page and we're going to be doing work for the glory of God and we're going to be looking to exalt Christ above all things, if we're going to look to do what we're called here to do and we're going to walk out that door and we're going to look different in the world and we're going to lift up Christ above all things and we're going to say, come and see Jesus on display. He's glorified. Come and see. Come and see. Then that literally means if they're going to see us and think that there's anything different about us, then we don't need to be fussing and whining about everything everything we're doing. Can I just tell you that unfortunately where I've heard more fussing and whining than any other place in my life church. Now keep in mind I was pretty close to a high ranking official of a busy plumbing company in this county. And so that means that on occasion I had to tell people to do some of the worst parts of plumbing. Just use your imagination. 
And I heard less whining and complaining out of them quite often than I hear out of the people inside of God's house who are supposed to be serving because they love God, who are supposed to be serving because they want to see Christ exalted. But somehow or another, when we fuss and complain, you know who the spotlight gets turned on? Me. When I whine and complain about serving God and doing what God has called me to do, do you know who I'm focused on? Me and my feelings. Suddenly it's about how it makes me feel and what I want to do and how I think people are going to see me when I do it and it's no longer about God and what He called me to do. In other words, if you're doing what God called you to do, do it with a happy heart and with gladness. If you can't do it with a happy heart and gladness, maybe the problem is you're not doing what God called you to do. I'm just going to be transparent. Maybe you're not being obedient to God, but you're looking to glorify yourself. Maybe this position you thought you wanted so bad, if you can't do it with joy and gladness in your heart, then maybe it's not really the position that God called you to. Maybe it's not really where you're supposed to be. Maybe you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing. So those are harsh words, Brother Jason. Yeah, they are. But being obedient to Christ, it isn't easy. It moves us from what we were. Paul says in our nature we want to be worldly. We want to be what we were. But Christ says you are something different. You're a new creation. And so we're, we're battling against those, those drags on us. Our flesh wants what the flesh wants, but our spirit seeks to glorify God. And it's a battle. And sometimes that means we have to give up things we thought we wanted and do things we didn't think we wanted to do in order to realize that God is glorified in those things. Sometimes we have to step way out on the end of the limb where it takes faith and get away from that trunk where it feels so safe. We've got to be willing to do those things that Christ would be glorified and not that we would be glorified. And how do we get there? How do we get there? Beginning of verse 16. It says, Hold fast. The word of life. The gospel of Jesus. That's what that, the word of life. It literally means hold fast to the word of God. The word of life is the word of God. The Bible, that's, that's what brings life into us. The story of Jesus Christ. Weaved in from Genesis to Revelation, every verse, every jot, every tittle about Jesus Christ and His redemptive work on a cross called Calvary for sinners like us. That is what brings life. That is what makes us different. You know, when we started, I said that since the beginning of the year, it seems that the theme that God had, had has us in is a direction of unity and prayer and sensitivity to the Holy Spirit. And to cover those, those different topics, we've preached directly from the Word of God. Now, my style as my pastor, what I feel that a preacher of the Word of God is supposed to do is open up the Word of God and preach the Word of God. And that's it. I don't, I don't feel like I'm called to do anything else but preach the Word of God. And if the Word of God says it, then I'll preach it. And if the Word of God doesn't say it, then I won't preach it. I may talk to you about it on the front steps, but I won't stand in the pulpit and preach it. So every topic that we've covered, we've covered directly verse by verse, thought by thought from the Word of God. I haven't stood up here and opened up a church growth manual. I haven't stood up here and opened up a leadership book. I haven't stood up here and said, this is what I think. 
I've stood up here and preached the word of God. Is there anybody that would dispute that this morning? Put your hand back down. I'm just kidding. We've used nothing but the authoritative, infallible, inerrant word of God. But if we've come every Sunday since the first of the year, and we've heard the word of God preached every Sunday since the first of the year, and we've come to our Sunday school classes and heard it taught, and we've seen the glory of God sung by kids and adults alike, and we've done all those things, and we haven't brought it into our heart and allowed it to change our lives, then all we've done is got together and, and seen Jason get up here and give an entertaining message, sometimes not so entertaining. And that's the scary part, is that as a people of God, if we want to tune out the Word of God and not allow it to go in and change us and be changed by it and be obedient to what God has called us to be, then we can go through the motions of coming to church and look like we're doing everything we're supposed to do and still not glorify God with our lives and still not be obedient to Christ in our lives. How do we look different in the world? How do we get to an attitude where we do things with gladness and joy in our heart? By holding fast to the Word of God. As it's preached, we allow it to change our lives. As we studied in our homes, we allow it to change our lives. So, whoo. Glad he ain't preaching to me. Hang on. Last week. For sake of, of my own well-being, I'm not going to ask if anybody can tell me what we preached about last week. But I'll just tell you. Last week we preached a message. And in it, I said at the end, if we pray in this way, then literally the ground can shake. I knew at least somebody listened. If we will pray in the way that these people prayed and the ground shook for them, we worship the same God now that was the same God then, and if we'll pray this way, then literally the ground beneath us can shake. And I looked out and I said, I don't know about you guys, but I want to be part of a prayer service where God responds in such a mighty way that the ground shakes. And from your responses, from the amens and the head nods and the hand raises, I believe that at least 80% of you were right with me. And I believe the other 20% just didn't raise your hand or nod your head. I believe we were all in agreement that we would love to be part of a prayer service where the ground beneath us shook. Amen. But, in that proclamation of the Word of God from the book of Acts last week, we said that when they prayed, they opened their prayer by an acknowledgement of the sovereignty of God, who God was and what God had done and how awesome He was. We said that they started their prayers with an adoration of God. And that when they prayed for the supplication, when they asked for the things that they were requesting from God, they said, merely God, allow me to do what you've called me to do in this situation. They didn't ask for anything personal or selfish. They merely asked that God would be proclaimed. And then they received the Spirit and the ground shook. And so, 
I ask you this question, and I don't need a show of hands. How many of you, when you prayed this week, opened up your prayer with a time of proclaiming the sovereignty of God and asked that he would just allow you to do what he called you to do? Or did we go back to saying, God, please help me through another day. God, if you'll get me through this one, I'll get myself through the next one. God, please help me with this test. God, please do this. And I'm not saying you can't ask God for things. We're supposed to take them to God in prayer. What I'm saying is how many of us were willing to allow the word of God to go into our lives and actually change even the way that we pray in our time with God. Now, I don't need a show of hands. What I want you to know is that if we're going to be obedient to Christ and we're going to see him glorified as a church and we're going to see him glorified in our own lives and we're going to see him as the ultimate example and we're going to feel the ground shake when we pray, then we're going to have to allow the word of God to change what we do. I can get up here and stand on my head and recite the entire book of Ephesians, but if at the end of the day all you got out of it was that I could stand on my head, it wasn't worth the time. I can stand up here and preach a message every Sunday for the next 11 years, but if in the preaching of the Word of God none of us take the Word of God in and allow it to change our lives, then all we've done is a wasted 11 years worth of Sunday mornings when we could have met at the Waffle House. Because I'm going to be honest with you, if the Word of God is not going to go in and you're going to allow it to change your life, then it's a waste of time. No sense in singing the songs, no sense in praying the prayers, no sense in doing it, because the Word of God is what brings life. So how do we bring life to the dead? With the Word of God. How do we bring a church from where it is to where it's going? By the Word of God. How do you change your life from what it is to what you think it should be? With the Word of God. Not by some good looking preacher. Not by some wonderful singers. By the Word of God. Now why do we sing? Because we've been saved by the Word of God. Why do we preach? Because the Word of God brings life and there's still death. Why do we go with hearts for hunger? Because the Word of God brings life and we feel like the Word of God commands us to. Why do we do the things we do? Because of the Word of God. And if we're not going to let it change us, folks, it's a waste of time. You're speaking to somebody, from hearing from somebody uh, whose family is fed by us coming together, okay? And yet, I'm, I'm here to say, if we're not going to come together and listen to the Word of God and allow it to change us, we might as well stop. We might as well stop. Am I saying we're doing an awful job? That's not what I'm saying. I'm not trying to beat anybody up. I'm just saying we have to have a focus on the Word of God. The collectivity of obedience, the contrast of obedience, and finally, the celebration of obedience. They always give you something bad in point two, and then we celebrate in point three. That's so you don't stay mad at me all week. Verse 17 and 18, yes, and if I'm being poured out as a drink offering on the sacrifice and service of your faith, I'm glad and rejoice with you all. For the same reason, you also be glad and rejoice with me. Paul concludes here this section, and he, and he makes a reference to the Old Testament sacrifice process. It's something that, that they would have understood. The Jews in Philippi would have understood what he was talking about, and literally... When a sacrifice was made in the, Old, in the Old Testament, prior to the days of Jesus, when they still made sacrifices and burnt offerings, 
once that fire was really burning and once whatever that offering was was being consumed, the priest would then take liquid, which had been oftentimes made with a, a fragrance or a spice or an essential oil, as some of you know about today, would be added to that, to that liquid, and it would then be poured out on that, on that burning offering. And then, so naturally what happens when you put liquid on fire, those of you who are wonderful cooks understand you have steam, right? And so you would pour out the drink offering, the steam would go up, and the idea was that that sweet fragrance would, would take that into the heavens. And so Paul is literally saying to them, as my death and my imprisonment is here upon me, that I'm being poured out like a drink, like a drink offering. If, if my time with you is that you would be obedient to Christ and that you would be carrying out the commands of God, that you would be allowing the Word of God to change your life, if, if that's the result of my time and, and, and that brings me death, then I rejoice to die for the gain of Christ, even if it was just in Philippi. Now we know that Paul had many churches in many places. But as he writes to him, he says, if you simply proclaim God, I rejoice in the fact that I might lay down my life that Christ would be glorified. I, I'm happy that my time there landed me in prison because you were doing what God called you to do. And he's saying, you should rejoice with me. Don't be sad. Thank you for, he's writing this letter to thank them for some money that they had sent to him in Rome. He said, don't be sad. Don't cry for me. Be glad that I get this opportunity to be here and preach to these old guards that are holding me in here. But I'm so glad for what you're doing. Folks, there's a celebration in obedience to Christ. There's a celebration in God's people coming together and doing the work of the Lord together in one accord. And if we'll just be obedient to Christ, listen to His Word and allow it to change our lives, come together in one accord, focus, love one another, do these things because of what Christ did for us, and we get to have celebrations like you would not believe. There ain't no celebration no sweeter than the celebration with a family after someone accepts Christ. There ain't no celebration no sweeter than the celebration with a bunch of good old church people who just went out and served God together with gladness in their hearts. Nothing more sweet than that group of people coming back together to share what God did while they were serving Him with gladness in their heart and a smile on their face and joy in their soul. Willing to lay oneself down for one another like Paul laid himself down for the church at Philippi. Folks, that's true obedience. And that's what God has called his church to be. Truly obedient. So maybe you're here this morning. Maybe you're here and you've been in church your whole life. You've been in church for years, however many it is. And you say, but I just feel further from God than I think I need to be. I don't have the joy in my service. I don't feel as close to him as I once did. Things just don't feel the same. Won't you come this morning and, and just lay it at his feet? Because like I said, it all starts with small steps out of your center point. But, but we can bring you right back with just one confession to God. God, I lay this down at your feet. Call me back to you, Jesus. Maybe you're here this morning and the whole time I've been preaching, you've been thinking... I don't know what he's talking about. I don't know what it means to be obedient to Christ because I've never accepted Christ as my Lord and Savior. Well, won't you come this morning and let's just talk about that. Let's talk about how we can act different because of what Christ did for us on Calvary's Hill. Let's just, let's just have that conversation and talk about how your sin has earned you hell, but Jesus' blood has earned you heaven.
Let's just have that conversation this morning. Let's pray. Father God, Lord, we just thank you. God, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for what you've done. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for Paul, who you inspired to, to pen a letter to a church that he had planted that we as a church, thousands of years later, could look at it and apply it to our lives today and say, if we want to be closer to you, God, if we want to better mirror you in our lives, then obedience is what is required, Lord God. That we would look different, that we would be on the same page, and that we would celebrate together as a result. God, we thank you for that. And God, there's somebody here this morning that doesn't have the joy in their service, that doesn't have the joy in their salvation, God. Would you draw them near to you this morning? God, you convict them to confession, Lord God, that they would lay their burdens down at your feet and rise up with joy and gladness in their heart again, God. And if there's someone here that doesn't know you as their Savior, who's never cried out to you for forgiveness of sins, and I pray that you give them the courage and the conviction this morning to do just that. It's in your precious, precious heavenly name we pray, God. Amen. Thanks again for joining in. We sincerely hope that this has blessed you in some way. If you have any further questions, feel free to give us a call or check us out on the web at www.rockyvalleybaptist.org. Thank you and have a blessed day.